It's a joy to gather as God's people uh, together and be able to praise Him. So, our passage today is going to be from Psalm 63. Uh, Psalm 63, uh, scholars believe this psalm springs out of the events surrounding 2 Samuel 17 in particular, but if you were to go back and read that section of Scripture, you'd want to start at about 2 Samuel 13 and go to 19. It's the story of David and his son Absalom. What goes on in this and where we pick up the story in chapter 17, Absalom has been preparing a coup to take over his father's position. He's been doing that for the last five years. He's been laying a network of lies and deception. And as chapter 17 picks up, David is abandoning the city of Jerusalem to save it from conflict. And he's taking those who are loyal with them. They're leaving the city even as Absalom is entering through another gate of the city. In chapter 29, verse 17, we pick up, and it ends that chapter, and it shows that they've moved across the Jordan. They're into the Judean wilderness. And it says, the people were hungry, weary, and thirsty in the wilderness. And it's here, in this wilderness place, that David prepares to do battle against a son, his son Absalom whom you will find even to the end of this story, he loves greatly. And this is the the structure or the place, that last sentence there is where Psalm 63 springs out of. So let's take a look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with rich, with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank You for this Scripture. Thank You that You give us examples of men's lives 
so we can see how you've worked in the past, but also to see how you are working now. Lord, they're there for our instruction. So help us today learn, Lord, all that You would have to, to, Lord, put into practice the things You would teach us today. Lord, I thank You for the Word um, that You've given. Lord, help me to preach it with clarity to ears and parts that You have prepared to receive it. Lord, bless our time today. And may Your name in all this be glorified. Amen. So, when I started preparing for this sermon on Monday, it was a very different message than what you're going to get today. I had three points I wanted to make to help us understand the passage from David's perspective and then how the psalm uh, was included, you know, from God's Word was important for us today. It includes important things that we need to learn today as well. And so my plan was to show you or to, to point out to you during the message and make three points. Uh, I think we have a slide for that. Good. Yeah. So here was the three points I was going to make. I wanted to just show you that we need to come before God with a desperate spirit or, or a desperate heart. And that's what David did. And it's what we're to do as well. And from there, I, I wanted to make the point that we are to remember God with an expectant heart. Because as we see in verse 2 through 8, when we remember God, our faith is built. And we're able to worship God. And in the worship of God, even in difficult circumstances, our hungry flesh and our thirsty souls are satisfied. And we find joy in God's presence. And we stay closer to Him when we're in that state of worship. And finally, my intent was to lead us into rejoicing in God with the overcoming King. I wanted to present to you sort of a parallel of Christ and David, who both went against a foe who was full of lies and deceit, who defeated them and led the people into praise of God, that he was an overcoming king. So that's where I was going to go. But yesterday morning, I really felt God wanted to drive home the point, a very specific point, and that was the first point. Our need to be desperate for him. I felt God wanted to drive home the point that on our best days, we have no idea how grave and hopeless our situation really is without God. I believe God specifically wanted us to understand and get this for our prayer lives. And not just your prayer life, but for my prayer life as well. To remind us to pray from a position of desperation. That we are desperate for God to answer our prayers. We are desperate for God to move. 
So let's take a few minu a minutes, the next 30 minutes or so, and look at desperation. First from David's perspective, and see how we can learn and how we can apply that then for our own lives today. So in 2 Samuel, if you remember the story I was telling you at the beginning, in 2 Samuel 17, David and those with him are in a desperate spot. And as we mentioned earlier in the passage, um, it's rooted in Absalom's conspiracy to overthrow his father, David, who was the king. And things truly are desperate for David and those who are following him. See, because his armies are all throughout Israel. They're not there in Jerusalem with him. He really only has a small contingent of military and servants. And at this point, David no, no longer knows who he can trust. Because at every turn, he finds out another advisor is actually working for Absalom. Another commander is with Absalom. Another city is with Absalom. Because Absalom has been weaving these lies and this network of deceit for five years. And as we pick up our story, we see David hurrying the people, those who are loyal to him, out of the city of Jerusalem. And he's headed to a place he's familiar with because David's gone to the wilderness of Judah before. The last time is when Saul sought his life and he had to flee Jerusalem into the wilderness of Judah. The difference now is that now he has women and children and servants. It's not just him. And so the move is slow. And he just makes it over to the Kitron Valley, which is not very far away. And they're in a bad spot. And someone comes down from the, from the king's palace and gives him a warning and says, they're coming after you tonight. You've got to get across the river. And so he pushes the people across the river and into the wilderness. And that's when we get our verse that, that they're hungry and thirsty and weary and in a desperate place. And you can imagine now, as this new day begins to break, you can imagine David having spent a restless night wrestling with his past, wrestling with how differently he might have dealt with Absalom, wrestling with his doubts. Has God abandoned me? Is this payment from God for all the blood I've shed as a warrior? I can imagine David wrestling with fears, fears for his other sons. Would Absalom have his other sons murdered to consolidate power? What will happen to those who are still loyal to me? What will happen to Jerusalem if a king sits on a throne who does not fear God? Oh God, you are my God. I can imagine him wrestling with the weight of responsibility for a kingdom and for those who are with him now. How would he feed them? How would he get them water? How would he protect them from the attack that was sure to come? How would he shelter them? Who were his friends and who could he trust? And all these questions, David had no answers. 
But I can also imagine that Satan had answers for him. Because Satan is the father of lies. And I can imagine that Satan was speaking words of condemnation. Words of abandonment. Words of rejection by God. I can imagine Satan is speaking words of fear and despair and death. Satan is the father of lies. And I can imagine him actively painting a picture for David of utter hopelessness. Painting a picture for God's chosen king, the leader of God's chosen people, a picture of hopelessness. Finally, I can imagine David in that early morning, that early gray light of dawn, climbing to some high place to seek God. It's a day that promises to again be hot and dry. And as he looks over that barren wasteland, that resembles his own soul at this point. These words coming out of his mouth. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land, there is no water. And it is from this place of deep desperation that David turns to God. It is from this place of hopelessness that he cries out. It is out of the realization that if God doesn't work a miracle, he and all those with him will be destroyed. It is out of this place of this soul-twisting, gut-wrenching, spiritual, mental, and emotional agony that David cries out like a sponge that's had all the water wrung out of it and then it's put out in the noonday sun and is now brittle and dry. And from the barrenness of his soul, he cries out, Oh God, my God. You are my God. Earnestly, I desire You. Earnestly, I seek after You. I am desperate for You. And friends, you can bet that the events that have led to this point and the hopelessness that appears to lay before him, David's cry was a wholehearted seeking after God. A wholehearted earnestness. A wholehearted desperation for God to meet him and act on his behalf. And it is in this very first verse that you and I can learn some really important lessons. So friends, my question is, can you relate to where David's at? I mean, you may not have had people trying to hunt you down and kill you, but can you relate to that feeling in your spirit and your soul? Can you relate to the enemy, the father of lies, speaking to your soul and saying, you are rejected. You are hopeless. There is no hope for you. You will die. Can you relate to that? Life brings circumstances like that. And as they did with David, they catapult us from a kingdom where we have things in abundance 
to a wilderness that is dry and barren, and he does it in the blink of an eye. Things like betrayal of a spouse or a close friend. Getting news that a child's been incarcerated or maybe killed in an accident. An unexpected diagnosis of cancer. You get the idea. You know how quickly it can completely unseat you from a throne room where you had the world and thrust you into a place of hopelessness. Yet while David is in this dark, painful place, it is a good place for God to show His power and His glory. And in Psalm 63, by the end, we see that the enemies of the king are destroyed and the mouth of the liar is shut up. God heard David's prayers and answered him. And maybe you have your own testimonies that you could tell of where God has met you and answered your prayers. Where He has rescued you from the enemy and shut the mouth of the liar. And I'm glad you have those. But, would our lives be different if we cultivated a heart of desperation? What would it look like if our prayers were shaped daily by a heart that was desperate for God to act? If we cultivated that, that sense that if God does not act, there is no hope. How would that change your prayer life? When you are desperate for God to act, you pray like your life depends on it. You pray like the woman in Luke 8 who had the issue of blood, who touches the hem of Jesus' garment, hoping in a faith-born desperation for healing. You pray like the woman who seeks justice in Luke 18, and you keep knocking at heaven's door, at God's door, crying out until you get a response. And I want to encourage you to pray like that in desperate times. Do pray like that. Pray with hope. Pray with faith. Pray with persistence in desperate times. But I want to encourage you also to be desperate for God every day. Because that's how we should be praying every day. I want to encourage you to cultivate desperation. A desperation that leads to a wholehearted prayer. I'm recommending that you cultivate a hunger and a thirst for God that causes you each morning to cry out to God with, I need you today. I thirst for you today, God. I hunger for you today, God. I want to commend to you that you pray every day prayers that are desperate. Prayers filled with hope. Prayed in faith. 
and made persistently. Not giving up until God breaks through. Now, maybe you don't feel that hunger or that thirst. Well, like a good gardener, I want to help you. I want you to work on cultivating hunger and thirst for God. And so to help you in doing that, I'm preaching this sermon today, which I'm hoping is tilling up some soil, and I want to give you some seeds. Some seeds to plant in your garden. So if you don't feel that hunger and thirst, let me give you that first seed. And the first seed I want to give you is the lost. Yes, the lost. Let me explain that a little bit. Jesus says in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay? We all know that verse. It means that there is only, if Scripture is correct, if Scripture is true, and I believe it is, that there is only one way eternal life and that's through Jesus Christ we also know that we have a clear mandate to share the good news but we also know from John 6 44 that if God does not draw that no one will come to him that it is God's role to draw men and women to himself it is God who opens the eyes of the blind. It is God who softens the heart of stone. It is God who changes the hearts of you and me. So I can share the good news. I can proclaim Christ crucified for my sin. I can tell you that He died that He was buried, that He rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have eternal life. But my obedience to share the Gospel will not change a single person's I don't care how slick my presentation is. I don't care how good I present it. It does not have the power to change the heart of a single man or woman. Only God can do that. And so I pray. I pray wholeheartedly, with hope, with desperation, for God to act on behalf of the lost. Now let me make this painfully clear to you, and I want to make it really personal because the lost is really nebulous. If your spouse, if your son, your daughter, your mom or dad, your best friend Bobby, who you've known since second grade, doesn't come into a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ, they will go to hell. Period. End of story. And hell is a real place. 
It is the epitome of the barren wasteland where there is no food and there is no water, where their fire always burns and the worm always gnaws at the flesh. And they are under torment night and day. And I'm not telling you this to frighten you. I'm telling you this to help you cultivate desperation. Because when you grasp this, you will never again be able to be lackadaisical in your prayer. You'll never be lackadaisical again in coming before God. You will never sit in another small group. And when their small group leader asks, do you have something we can pray about, you just let it pass by and go, "Uh, no, I got nothing. I can't think of anything. You will never miss another corporate prayer night because you have the opportunity to join with others and lift up the lost. Those who have names, you're praying for Zach and for John and for Muhammad, for Diana, for Jennifer, for Lucia. They're people with lives. They're real people with real faces and real names. Real lives that intertwine with yours. And real lives that will spend eternity in hell unless God changes their heart. But I have a hope because Hebrew 4 tells me that I, I have the opportunity to come before the throne of my loving Father. I can come boldly before a throne of grace to receive mercy. And haven't we all who are believers here received God's mercy? Isn't that why we sit here? Why we gather? Because we've received God's mercy. And that's His promise. That if you come before that throne and boldly ask for mercy and grace, you receive mercy and grace in a time of need. That's His promise, not mine. And so I pray. And I pray with desperation. And I pray with faith. And I pray with hope. And I want to encourage you, let that desperation fill your heart. Let those thoughts of where your friends, where your neighbors, where your sons and your daughters, where your spouse will be for all of eternity fuel you, fuel your heart with a desperate, faith-filled prayer. I'm begging you for their sake and for God's glory. Cultivate a heart of desperation that leads to wholehearted, faith-inspired, hope-filled prayer. Now, you may be saying to yourself, I don't know anybody not saved. My whole friends, family's all saved. My friends are all saved. You might want to get some new friends. But praise God, if that's the case, that is fantastic. In fact, I would love to have you hang out with me because you have been doing something right. That's wonderful. So, for you, I've got seed number two to help you create this spirit of desperation, to cultivate in your garden desperation. This seed is called love. Now let me read you a couple of verses. Matthew 27, or 22, 37 through 38. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This great and first commandment, or this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or, John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now personally, I don't even need the second two verses that, that I read through. I, I really don't. Because after the first verse, I am completely undone. Completely undone. That first command alone seems completely impossible to me in my hyper-distracted, hyper-selfish mind. I cannot imagine being able to love God with my whole heart. I only need to run through my thoughts from this morning and see how far I am from that. Now I want you to know, I want to love God wholeheartedly. I, I really do. I want to love God wholeheartedly. But I don't. That's just the simple reality of it. I don't. See, I, I'll put my comfort before God's mission. I'll put my reputation before God's glory. I'll trust myself and the wisdom of others before I trust God's wisdom. And I will look to cheap imitations of what the world offers for satisfaction as quick as a child will grab candy off the table rather than vegetables. That's the reality of my heart. Our hearts are deceptive. Our very flesh and will stand against us. They drive us away from God. The sin nature will only tolerate one person being God, and that happens to be me. And every one of you, if you get right down to the core, is saying the exact same thing. But God's Word says, what? You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And that should lead you to desperate prayer. We can't meet that goal. Thanks be to Jesus Christ who died for me. And my sin is covered. Because not being a wholehearted lover of God is sin. That's just what it is. I desperately need God. And that realization drives me back to the throne. Back to God in desperation. And it often I don't even realize how far I've drifted into the wilderness, into that dry and weary land where my flesh hungers and my thirst, my soul thirsts after God. I don't even realize it until suddenly I find myself lost. And I'm crying out, oh God, 
You are my God. Come, fill me with the bread of life. Quench my thirst with the living water. Rescue me from this barren wasteland where I've lost myself in yet again. The thing is, this needs to be my approach every day. I need to cultivate this desperation that leads me daily to saying to God, Oh God, You are my God. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary wasteland where there is no water. I need to say every day, God, I live in this barren land where the enemy of my soul seeks to destroy me. So defend me. Give me the living water out of Your Spirit or I will surely die. Give me the bread of life or I will falter and fail and perish. God, turn my heart to You or I will wander. Lead me on Your paths of righteousness or I will choose paths that lead to death. God, fill me with Your Spirit and cause me to love because I will not love other people otherwise. These are the daily cries of a heart that's cultivating desperation. These are the cries of a person who understands that their situation is desperate. These are the cries of a person in a desperate situation who cries out to a loving Father in prayer, in hope-filled, faith-driven, expectantly longing to be heard and answered prayer. They come from a heart that knows that if I'm to love my fellow believers, let alone love my neighbor, I have to cultivate a spirit that's desperate. That's desperate for God. That's desperate to be changed and influenced by God. I have got to cultivate a spirit that is thirsty for the Holy Spirit. I have got to cultivate a heart that is hungry for Christ. If we don't do that, we'll fail. But if we do that, if we do cultivate that, we will be on our, own, on our knees, on our faces, before God, day after day, crying out for fresh filling of His Spirit. Crying out for Him to rescue us from the wilderness of our own selfishness. A person who has cultivated that kind of desperation cries out to God with a hope-filled expectation. For God to fill them afresh. Because they know. They know they will not love God with all their heart, soul, or mind. They will not be a person who says, You are my God. My soul thirsts. What they do know 
is that they will not be a person, if they cultivate this desperation, they will not be a person who when it comes time to pray and somebody says, how can I pray for you? They'll say, I'm all set. Good to go. Can't think of anything. A person who has cultivated desperation and who cries out to God with that kind of hope-filled desperation, that hope-filled expectation for God to fill them afresh because they know they will not love their neighbor, because they know they won't even love their fellow believer. Hmm. That unless God does something through the power of His Holy Spirit to dramatically change their selfish heart, this is a person who doesn't have to struggle about what to pray for in the morning. They don't get up in the morning and, and go, I don't know what to pray for. Because their heart is desperate for God and they know, they're well aware they need God. A person who's cultivated that heart of desperation for God to change their heart, to draw lost family members, to draw husbands and wives and children and parents, brothers, sisters, lifelong friends, co-workers, are not going to ask, why would I go to corporate prayer this month? They'd be asking, why aren't we doing this weekly? Why aren't we gathering every day? This is a person who now understands with desperation the situation we're in and our need to cry out to God to cry out again and again with hope-filled, expectant faith until God answers or God tells us to stop or until we die. That's when we stop praying. That's when we stop asking. That's when we stop cultivating a heart of desperation. If I get the worship team to come up. Friends, like David, we need to recognize our plight. Our situation is urgent. And what is at stake is truly a life and death matter. Period. You and I need to recognize that we are powerless to change the situation on our own. We need a rescuer. We need someone to come in and do what we cannot do. And once we realize that need, we need to cry out to Jesus. We need to cry out to God with hope-filled faith, with expectation, because He is the one who can change hearts. He's the one who changes our circumstances. He's the one who changes situations. God sent His Son, Jesus, to be our rescuer. He rescued us from a situation we could not change. And I'm betting someone was praying for you. When you get to heaven, ask, who was praying for me? Can I go find them? I want to thank them. I can give you a whole list of people who prayed for me because I was a really terrible person. We're powerless to, make, to break out of darkness ourselves. We're powerless in our own selves to break the bondage of sin. 
that has enslaved us and keeps us enslaved in the dominion of darkness. But God. Oh, my favorite two words in the Bible. But God. But God, in His mercy, sent Jesus to rescue us, to break the shackles of sin, to shine the light into the dominion of darkness, and to transfer us into the kingdom of marvelous light. You and I didn't do that. God did that. Though many things have changed since you and I became believers, one thing has not, and that is that we are desperate for God to act. We are desperate for God to change things. We're desperate for God today just like we were before He rescued us. It's a different focus in that desperation now, but we're still just as desperate. And once you get that, once you understand that, and you start praying out of that desperation, I guarantee you, your prayer life will become vibrant and strong and powerful. It'll never be the same. So I'm encouraging you, cultivate desperation. I want to try and make this practical. I'm going to give you just a few things. I'll actually put them on Facebook later. But I want you to this week meditate on Psalm 63.1. Kind of all those verses. John 14.6. John 6.44. Matthew 22.37-38. John 15.12. Meditate on those verses. Think about them. And then, I want you to write down, where do you need God to be obedient in those verses? I want it to kind of settle into your spirit and plant those seeds of desperation. And I want to help you water that a little bit by telling you, I want you to put together a a list of people you don't know or that are not saved, that you would like to see saved. Then I want you to write down what keeps you from being desperate. What things keep you from being desperate for God? Pick one of those things and then start asking God to show you how to change that. How to actively make changes in your life. How to actively pursue God in that. Ask for the Holy Spirit to point it out to you where I'm not being desperate. Where I don't need you, God. Because that's what we're saying. We're saying, God, I don't need you. I got this. I don't need you for this part of my life. I can handle it. That's what a lack of desperation is. And then I want to invite you to go to small group and I want you to, to invite you to be ready to pray in your small group. To be thinking ahead of time. I want to be praying for these people. I want to pray like this in our small group this week. I want to invite you to our next corporate prayer fourth Thursday of, of March. Wednesday, sorry. Fourth Wednesday of March. It'll be in the calendars. And then... I want to invite you to one last thing. We're going to end a little early today. 
you'll notice the room set up a little different. We're missing a whole row of chairs up here because I want to invite you to come forward today. If God is putting somebody on your heart, if God has said, oh my gosh, and, and, or if God has kind of pointed his finger in something in you, that you're able to come forward and pray today after communion. I'm not saying pray with somebody. If you want, come see me. I'll be happy to pray with you. Jeff will be happy to pray with you. Toby will probably be happy to pray with you. There's a lot of people who would be happy to. But I'm just inviting you to spend some time with God right here. Do some time. Pray for desperation. Pray for the lost. Pray for God to show you how you can love Him more wholeheartedly. That's what will happen up here this morning if you take the time. We do that after communion. So let me pray for us now, and then Pastor Jeff's going to, Pastor Jeff's going to come up. Pastor Jeff's going to come up. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time together today. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the example you gave us in David. Lord, would you turn our hearts to you? Work in us, Lord. We need you. God, we need you. Lord, I need you day after day to breathe life into dead bones. To bring water into a barren wasteland. To give me once again the, bear, the, the bread of life that I might be sustained. And I, Lord, I pray that we would all seek you more this week. That this word would not go forward and return void. And that's your promise that it won't. So, Lord, do all that you intend with this word this week. Lord, and bless your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.